We start with the one-year anniversary of the atmospheric river floods that devastated parts of B.C. It hit one year ago today. I've got former Abbotsford Mayor Henry Braun standing by. First, let's go back one year. Global News reporter Emily Lazatin. This is one year ago today. Have a listen. There's a landslide going up the coke. This driver, one of the last to get through as torrential downpour brought on multiple rock and mudslides and flooding, forcing the closure of the Coquihalla Highway in both directions between Hope and Merritt. Mud and debris nearly a meter thick, taking over both sides of the highway, the center divider acting like a dam. Big landslide, I'm driving through a flood. Sunday afternoon, Dry VC warning people to avoid unnecessary travel in the Fraser Valley, Fraser Canyon, and Hope area. Okay, that was one year ago today as the historic floods hit British Columbia, and it just got worse from there. Let's check in with Henry Braun now, the former mayor of Abbotsford, and I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Henry, thank you for coming on today. Good to be with you, Mike. Henry, you have been called the right mayor at the right time during this devastating event that hit Abbotsford and and your region. Let's go back to one year ago today. What do you recall about when this event started? How did, when did you first realize that this was going to be a big problem? Well, when I heard the bite, the dike broke, broke. But one of the things that happened even prior to that, uh, that we probably have forgotten is, we had quite a bit of precipitation already a week or 10 days prior to the three atmospheric rivers. So the soil was very saturated, uh, unlike it is today, because we're, we're still in a drought. So the, the soil, and Sumas Prairie in particular, can actually handle quite a bit of water uh, before it starts to pond and then pool. And of course, then when the Nooksack broke, all hell broke loose. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that when when that dike broke. What what was the what was the impact of that? Like what happened after that that infrastructure broke? Uh well, in uh, in uh, the Nooksack broke? Yeah. Well, the Nooksack actually well, they had dike breaches, but they didn't affect us. There is no dike or levee as they call them in Everson. That is by design. I didn't actually know that until after all of this, that the river rises to a certain level and then just goes over the bank. And once it does, uh, they've been creating a floodway since 1999, and it just heads straight towards Sumas, Washington, and then uh, comes across the border. Let's go back in time a year ago here, Henry, and, uh, you know, the amazing thing about the Internet is that these historic events are just at the click of a, a mouse button here for us. So, Let's go back to listen to you here pleading with residents to listen to evacuation orders a year ago, and then I'll get your thoughts. Here's Henry Braun, then the mayor of Abbotsford. Residents need to place priority on life safety and not ignore the current uh, evacuation orders that are in place and have been since this morning and to leave the area immediately. Residents that can't evacuate safely are requested again to call 911 and report their location Immediately. Then Abbotsford Mayor Henry Braun speaking a year ago this week. Henry, what was going through your mind there? Well, you know, even just listening to that now, it's, I mean, it's surreal. When I, when I think back what all happened a year ago, it's, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. But uh, I was concerned because what we had never experienced before in 100 years was the dike on the Sumas River breaching 
And the reason it breached is because of all of the water that was pouring across the border from the Nooksack, which was much more, in hindsight, uh, you know, now that we have some of the data, than the 1990 flood, which, of course, started a whole series of studies and everything else that's gone on for 30-plus years. But, yes, I was very frightened for, uh, for our farmers. Nobody had to tell me what was coming. With my construction background, um, I knew that uh, the longer that dike breach was open and the pouring of the water uh, coming into the Sumas Bowl uh, was going to inundate, well, actually 90,000 acres yeah. of land or 90 square kilometers, which is the size, just for context, the size of Burnaby. Speaking of Henry Braun, former mayor of Abbotsford, one year after the floods hit, Let's talk a little bit about the heroic efforts at the the Barrowtown pump station. And I vividly remember a news conference with you a year ago where you were talking about rising floodwaters and the danger to that facility. And there was a heroic effort to save it, right? Can you what do you recall of that? Well, when I first heard that uh, the water was rising so fast that it was going to inundate the Barrowtown uh, pump station, uh, which pumps all of the water uh, in the Eastern two-thirds of Sumas Prairie, um, uh, I, I phoned Minister Farnworth and told him, if we don't get some help here uh, shoring up the uh, sandbags, we're going to lose that pump station. And if we do, and of course the reason we would lose it is because the water would inundate the basement of the pump station, we'd have to shut those pumps down. And once the water was inside the pump station, we still today would probably be pumping water out of Sumas Prairie. So it was unbelievable how quickly people from Chilliwack and the eastern portion of Sumas Prairie came, I think there was 300 people, that came and started building a sandbag wall that was probably 10 feet high, yeah. which which kept the water at bay long enough so that um, you know, the rain stopped and we started to continue, or not started, we were continuously pumping with all four pumps, but then slowly the water started to recede. But uh, there was many a sleepless nights for me and many other people, our staff included. How, how close do you think you came? I mean, this was a disastrous event for the region, but it could have been e- even worse, would you say? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. If uh, the, the worst part would be if we had to shut that pump station down. Yeah. Those are the largest pumps in Western Canada, and you don't just go find new pumps. And so the water would have risen much higher than what we experienced, and it would take, by conventional pumping, our engineers and our consultants were telling us it would take a year to oh. pump that water out, which would be around today. What would you say about, here we are a year later after this event, has the infrastructure been built back there now to withstand another one of these? No. Uh, that may sound like an abrupt answer, but if we had the exact same scenario, so precipitation for 10 days prior to three atmospheric rivers, uh, snow melt or the snow level or freezing level going up to 3,000 meters on Mount Baker, so now you had snow melt. And then all that precipitation, if we had the exact same scenario happen, uh, we probably would be in danger of the dike failing somewhere else on that 17-kilometer stretch. Now, it broke in one stretch uh, 110 meters wide, 
and that is now stronger than the rest of the 16.9 kilometers of the dike uh, by probably a factor of 10 times. But the rest of the dike is still made out of sand and gravel. It does not meet provincial uh, dike specifications. And so that work has to happen uh, as we go forward. Those dikes have to be rebuilt. Is there a commitment from other levels of government to get that done? Well, you know, I'm not the mayor anymore, and so I I really don't want to get in the way of the new mayor, uh, Mayor Siemens and council, but uh, my sense of a week ago, because I've been out of office a week now, Mm -hmm. was that I think both uh, federal and provincial, for sure the provincial government, understands what needs to be done. we, there, there is so much data that has been done in studies over the last 35 years. I think everybody knows what has to be done. It's just there's a lot of voices that want to have input, and I understand that, and the processes that take place. I think we will get there. The most critical part of our recovery or our uh, flood mitigation plan is a new pump station on the Sumas River so that when the floodgates, which acts like a dam when they're closed, uh, and the water behind it just backs up to the top of the dike and goes over. Now, that has never happened before, but it did last year. And so if we had the exact same scenario take place, we would be at risk. Those farmers on Sumas Prairie are at risk. And so I have been trying to make the case over the last year, we have to get that pump station because then we could pump the water over on the other side into the Fraser River, and we could withstand much more water coming across the border. Henry Braun, I think you did an awesome job leading Abbotsford in the region through this crisis a year ago today. Thank you for coming on with your thoughts and uh, on it today. I Thank appreciate you. it. Good to be with you, but, uh, you know, it wasn't just me. We had a great wow. staff. I had a very supportive council. If it wasn't for that, it might have looked a little different. So I want right. to pass on kudos to them, too. All right. Let's keep talking about the historic floods that hit British Columbia one year ago today. You heard my conversation there with Henry Braun, the former mayor of Abbotsford. Let's talk about the damage to BC's highway transportation system. Got the minister standing by, Rob Fleming. Let's go back a year ago here. Have a listen to this report from Global News reporter Ted Chernecki. The washouts, eroded highways and rail lines, mudslides. We've seen it all before in BC part of living in a mountainous province. But for those who've spent the last several decades repairing this kind of devastation, this is different. The magnitude of this is uh, we've not seen. This is the southbound lanes of the Coquihalla Highway. The Coquihalla alone has five major infrastructures damaged or destroyed. And since the highway was designed for speed, there aren't a lot of access roads. Five job sites that just might have to be dealt with one at a time. Okay, that was one year ago this week. The Coquihalla Highway was cracked into pieces from the flooding. Other highways impacted. Let's discuss with BC Transportation Minister Rob Fleming now. Minister, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Mike. Okay, it's hard to believe it was just a year ago when we were faced with this devastation, uh, and I think it's been a a pretty successful job is certainly getting the Coquihalla back up and and running. Can you tell us the status of the highways that were impacted and where we're at right now a year later? Yeah, just listening to that report from your colleague Ted Chernecki, and uh, I don't think anybody in the province, myself included, thought we'd have that highway up and running 35 days later for commercial traffic. Um, given the scale of the damage, and we all remember the drone footage that we saw there, but it has been functioning for general travel since January 19th, Uh, so it it did come back 
quite quickly, which was very helpful. I mean, I think there's about $130 million worth of goods transported on that corridor. And uh, it's, of course, the main connection between the lower mainland and the interior of the province. That, that was really the frightening part was that for a period of time, we had really no connection um, oh. of, of two and a half million British Columbians with the other two and a half. And, uh, you know, both rail lines down and, uh, and, our, and our main highways down. But we, we reached some workarounds pretty quickly, Highway 7 and Highway 3. And those got pretty pounded out because they're not used to taking, you know, what the Coquihalla handles on a daily basis. But we were able to repair those last summer, too. So Coquihalla um, temporary phase of repairs is completed and we're working on the permanent repairs uh, right now. And we're going to work through the fall and winter construction periods and get as much work as we can uh, done. And uh, it's going really well, Mike, I have to say. Um, The climate resilient thinking and engineering around how we rebuild it. Uh, in, incorporates much wider bridge spans that can handle massive volumes of water, like we saw with the atmospheric rivers. It will have inbuilt floodplains. So we're kind of defining for the rest of Canada, and, and I was just out east in the wake of Hurricane Fiona. We're, we're kind of defining what Build Back Better and climate resilience looks like here in BC because of the damage that we suffered a year ago. How about Highway 8, which was really wiped out by the event and it just reopened last week what is yeah that boy what why did that take so long uh that one took so long because vast stretches i think a total of seven kilometers of the highway literally disappeared yeah uh, in into the river it's just gone and uh we took uh the media uh on a drive uh, up that corridor it's about 64 kilometers long and on the Nicola River now, um, we've installed two bridges because on, 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 the, on the side of the river that, it was, um, uh, that the highway was on, where it disappeared, there was nothing left to cling on to. So it wasn't possible to rebuild there. So we crossed the river. Thankfully, the old Nicola Valley Railway was there. So we used that for two kilometers. And then we come back to the highway and it's, it's restored and it's workable. And uh, again, it really signifies the completion of the temporary repairs, which were Right. Absolutely amazing, uh, and we'll get to the permanent uh, uh, this construction season. We're already actually in the market right now to get some contractors. Okay, we're following it closely. Thanks for coming on to talk about it one year to the day when this flooding event hit. Appreciate your time today. Thanks. Thanks so much, Mike. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the battle over policing in the city of Surrey. It's a big day on this file now. This issue will be up in front of the brand new Surrey City Council. The promise by the new mayor, Brenda Locke, her majority on City Council, to go back to the future here. We're going to keep the RCMP in Surrey. We'll slam the brakes on this plan to set up a new municipal independent police force. Wow, what a fight over this now. Uh, this one is going to land in the lap of the provincial government. They have to approve this plan by city council to keep the RCMP and, and stop the transition to a local police force. Let's go back to election night here. And here is Brenda Locke in her victory speech. Have a listen. But the first things are first. How about, first of all, we need to keep the Surrey RCMP right here in Surrey. Okay, let's continue discussing now with my guest, Cash Heed, former chief of the West Vancouver Police Department, former Solicitor General of BC. He's now a Richmond City Councillor. Cash, thanks for coming on again. Good morning, Mike. 
Okay, Cash, you were on the show last week, and you were critical of the plan by Surrey here to go back to the RCMP, and that has upset the mayor, Brenda Locke, and we'll get into that in a second here. But give me your take, please, on on why you think this is a bad idea that Surrey's doing here right now. Well, Mike, how much more convoluted can we get? We have politicized policing more than ever. What people want is they want responsible governance within their local municipality. A decision was made to transition. There were some hiccups along the way. There are people that are opposed to it, and now we're going back. And we have a corporate report that's in front of us right now that will go to council, where, in fact, you have to look at it, and it's flawed. It does not show you any estimates, whether it's known or estimated going forward on either option of retaining the RCMP as the police of jurisdiction or transitioning to an independent municipal police agency. Let me play a clip here for you from Norm Lipinski, who is the chief of the new Surrey Police Service, who says, look, it is too late to turn back now. We're too far down the road here in setting up this new police force. We can't go back to the RCMP. Here's what he says, and I'll get your thoughts. Norm Lipinski. If you look how far we've gone down the road, if you look at the money we put into this, if you look at the cost severance, mm-hmm. if you look at the labor, the, the humanity part of this, um, I would say to anybody standing on the street, if you uh, ask them, I think it'd be fair to say it's too far down the road. Cash Heed, do you agree with him? Yes, I do. It's too far down the road. If, in fact, we were going to look at some type of uh, police service, we should have looked at it some time ago. We should have set up the model and then determined how we're going to deliver it. Mike, this has gotten so off the rails that, and you know I'm not a, a fan of referendums, we may have to look at a 50 plus one referendum for the people of Surrey in order to deal with this. We can't have this political rhetoric being played out again because the ultimate person that is going to lose are those taxpayers in Surrey. Okay, this one is going to land in the lap of Solicitor General Mike Farnworth again. He had to deal with this the first go-around when, when Doug McCallum, the previous mayor, wanted to get rid of the RCMP, bring in this new police force. Now you've got a new council wants to flip it back around and go the other direction again. So he's going to have to make the call on this. You were a former Solicitor General of, the, of this province. If this one landed on your desk... What would you be saying to the city of Surrey right now? Well, right now you have to look at, and the powers within the Police Act for the Solicitor General is to look at the level of service for the people that live, work, and play in Surrey. And I think that's the important element the Solicitor General will have to look at. If you look at this plan of transitioning to keep the RCMP, again, using the term transitioning, can... uh, incumbent upon that is maintaining the current people that have been hired for SPS. And that's well in the hundreds of people that are supplementing the operational services of the RCMP. And if we have this argument where they're not going to transition over, you've got to look at what is this going to take? Is is this going to be a transition back to the RCMP that's going to take another four years? And again, keep an eye on how much this is costing. So the, the Solicitor General has to look at the level of service to the people of Surrey. Right, okay. Well, the cost estimate to date is that nearly $160 million has already been spent, a lot of it not recoverable. It includes severance payments to former police officers. So that's a lot of money 
that would, I guess, be down the drain if they go back to the RCMP. But Brenda Locke, the new Surrey mayor, has argued, look, that's still cheaper than going with a new a new municipal police force. It'll be more expensive in the long run than the Mounties. So you're still better off sort of cutting your losses now and going and going back with the RCMP is a cheaper option. You're not buying that? No, not at all. There's no factual information that's showing that. Again, in this corporate report, there's nothing that indicates what the estimated cost would be to retain SPS as the police of jurisdiction or going back to the RCMP as police of jurisdiction. Absent of that credible information on the finances, I don't know how that council is going to make their decision on what should be done. Okay, speaking to Cash Heed, the former BC Solicitor General, he's now a city councillor in Richmond. Cash, your appearance on the show last week, we talked about this issue. You were critical of, of the Surrey City Council and the new mayor. Uh, the Surrey City Mayor, uh, Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke, not happy with you. Uh, I'm looking at the text message exchange here between the two of you after your appearance on the show here on Friday. And she wrote to you, she says, hey, Cash. How about stay in your lane? If you're such a believer, work for it in Richmond. For an elected official to criticize the actions of another city is offside. Cash, what what do you say to the mayor of Surrey here? Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. First of all, nobody paints the lanes on uh, the lane I'm supposed to be in. Mike, I've known you for over 13 years. I've commented on the issues regarding police, public policy, and drug policy. I've traveled all around the world talking about this. I spent over 40 years on this, and I'll continue to be outspoken on issues that are passionate to me and the need for reforms in British Columbia. Okay, well, we asked the Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke to come on today, and, and you've offered even to go on and debate her on this issue, and we haven't heard back from her. I don't believe the mayor has commented about, about this in the last few days. So well, we'll, I will continue to comment about it, Mike, yeah. uh, whether it's your show or some other media with respect to this, because what I do is I back it up with some rationale or support to reach my decision on what should be done. And at the end of the day, it's for the people that are going to be served by these public servants within their municipalities. Right. Well, you're a Richmond city councillor now, and I guess the mayor of Surrey thinks that, you know, this stay in your lane comment was you should not be commenting about the issues in another municipality when you're a city councillor in Richmond. But would you say that these type of decisions have impacts all around the region, including in Richmond? Absolutely. This uh, impacts all across British Columbia, uh, whether it's this protective service or another protective service. We need to have politicians that are going to go out there and talk what they believe in and back up what they believe in. They don't have to, using the quote of stay in their own lane, they need to serve the people, not only within their local jurisdiction, but make sure they can impact the changes within, for example, regional uh, areas that they uh, uh, live in. Cash, thank you for coming on today. Thank you, Mike. Okay, talking about the battle over policing in Surrey, you heard from Cash Heed there that he thinks Surrey City Council should forget this whole idea to go back to the RCMP, keep going with the plan right now. The Surrey Mayor, Brenda Locke, is really furious with Cash Heed about this, by the way. Let's check in. We've got a lot of phone calls here. Let's quickly check in with Paul Danes. Keep the RCMP in Surrey. Hey, Paul. Oh, morning, Mike. What do you think of this little spat here now between Kashid and the new mayor in Surrey there, Brenda Locke? Absolutely ridiculous and outrageous. 
Cash should remember he's an elected official in Richmond, not Surrey. We didn't see his name on the ballot paper here in Surrey. He should also be aware, as everyone in Richmond and uh, certainly here in Surrey is, that Richmond voted to keep the RCMP in Surrey Mm. on council after a full analysis of the pros and cons and all the rest of it. They voted unanimously to keep the RCMP in Surrey. Indeed, Mayor Brodie said, quote, um, switching to a municipal police force uh, now or at any time would be stressful, costly, and it's never going to happen. And furthermore, with Cash Heed's recent comments, they really should nickname him Flip-Flop Cash Heed because he flips on this issue and changes his opinion and views like the weather. In an interview with Brenda Locke, which is freely available uh, on, on YouTube, along with um, Councillor Hundell, Cash Heed stated, and very quickly, the, that the SPS transition is a flawed process and a failed experiment. Oh. He said that McCallum can't, can't change a tyre, never mind a police force. He said, and he's correct in this, absolutely no consultation in Surrey. This was rammed down the public's throat. And he emphasised, lastly, that it's a quarter-billion boondoggle failed experiment. And um, so it's really hard, you know, to know what Cashid is going to say on any given day. And yes, I think it's outrageous that he's interfering in Surrey politics. Okay, let's take some calls here, Paul. We got Mike on the line in Vern. And hi, Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I just want to correct your previous caller. It was the people of Richmond that voted against the RCMP in Richmond, not Surrey. But anyways, um, so Cashid, yeah, he needs to, he needs, now that he's elected, he needs to stay out of this. I agree. But, you know, this whole situation in Surrey uh, is a huge mess. I mean, I left Surrey four years ago, and, boy, am I glad I did, because this is going to cost taxpayers millions upon millions of dollars. And now we see Brenda Locke starting to act like McCallum, being stubborn and won't listen to people. So I think we've got Brenda McCallum going now. I mean, this is just (laughs) getting worse and worse and worse out there. Okay. And... uh, Okay, you know, thank you for thank you for the call. But Mike, we need a referendum. Yeah, yeah a, a refer- referendum. Okay, well, a referendum. Paul Danes, what do you think about the idea? Like, let's put this thing to rest once and for all, and do it with a referendum. What do you think of that idea? Ah, absolutely not. Our, our group, keep the RCMP in Surrey, got a fifty thousand signature petition to the provincial government. We were told very clearly this is a matter for the locally elected municipal government to decide on at the election. We got an additional, and we were involved in supporting the Surrey police vote got an additional 42,000 uh, signatures asking for a referendum on the issue of keeping the RCMP in Surrey. This is done. It's dusted. Brenda Locke ran on keeping the RCMP in Surrey. It was very, very clear. And in regards to your last, call, last caller saying that um, Brenda Locke is as stubborn as McCallum, absolute nonsense. This poor woman has been only elected, I think, for two weeks now. She's had one council meeting. Tonight is the second council meeting. And she has been very reticent in making uh, statements whilst being continually attacked by Norm Lipinski and the Surrey Police Board um, Mm. over uh, with threats of legal action. That if the city of Surrey releases so far confidential financial information on the transition, they will sue the city Mm. of Surrey. Think about that, Mac. Mike, that's absolute madness. Okay, let's go to Fred on the phone line in, in Surrey. Hi, Fred, go ahead. Hey, Mike, how are you doing? I'm good, go ahead. Uh, yep, yes, I am for RCMP in, in Surrey, and 
Brenda is quite right in her rights as a mayor of New Mayor Surrey to tell Kashid to stay in your own lane, back out. I'll tell you why. When Kashid was the Solicitor General in the provincial government, in his own government, he failed to convince his own government to have a regional police force. Yeah. So why is he interfering in Surrey? Now, I blame nobody but McCallum because he showed a very poor leadership in giving the people of Surrey the best choice without putting this to referendum. There was a big fight between the two groups, and McCallum okay. referendum it, you know. Okay, Fred, thanks for the call. Let's squeeze in one more. Ivan in Surrey. Ivan, you got 30 seconds. Go ahead. Hi, Mike. Ivan Scott here from Keep the RCMP in Surrey. Just listen to Paul Dines there, and I uh, uh, endorse everything that he said. Kashid should stay right out of this. He's just a failed politician. He's got nothing to do with us over here. We've just had the referendum. The referendum said that uh, Brenda Locke and her group were going to come in, and we endorsed her, and that the this is the, the referendum is done. It's dust and done and well. It wasn't a thank you for the call. Well, it wasn't a referendum. I guess you're referring. It was an election with a very low voter turnout. Paul, we got thirty seconds left to give you the last word. Go ahead. Paul Dance. Give Brenda Locke and her team a chance to present the facts, and I think that's going to allay, uh, okay. you know, answer everyone's questions and concerns. Okay. But for Kashi to cr- criticize before she's even got a chance to start doing the job she was elected to do is, is offensive, frankly, just offensive. Thank you, Paul, for coming on. Paul Danes there from the group Keep the RCMP in Surrey saying Kashi should stay out of it. He's now a Richmond City Councillor. Yeah, what a what a feud we got going between those two now. All right, here we go now with the crypto crash. Uh, Bitcoin has fallen in value. Crypto markets are in chaos right now. The big story at this hour is cryptocurrency trading company FTX it filed for bankruptcy on Friday. And then on the weekend, this story got even wilder as the crypto exchange company said it had detected unauthorized access. Analysts say hundreds of millions of dollars in assets may have been moved out of the company in suspicious circumstances. Meanwhile, the former CEO of the company, Sam Bankman-Fried, known as the king of crypto, He has now stepped down as chief executive of that company, facing federal investigations into how he handled the company's finances. Wow. Talk about turmoil here in the cryptocurrency world. Got a great panel standing by to discuss this. Now, first, if you've heard of this FTX company, it's maybe because you've seen some of the commercials for it, including one by Tom Brady, the NFL football star. And his then-wife, Giselle Bunchen. Have a listen to this ad for FTX. What do you think? Are you in? You know what? I'm in. Let's call everyone. I'm getting into crypto. With FTX. You in? Hello, Tom. Doggy coin? Sue, Mark. Are you in? I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, they're all in. This is Tom Brady phoning all his friends. Get in on this. Now the company's filed for bankruptcy. Let's discuss it now with our panel. We've got two great guests on this. Andy Barrar, technology and digital lifestyle expert. 
handyandymedia.com. Andy, thanks for coming on again. Thanks, Mike. You bet. Thanks for doing it. Also on the line is Adam O'Brien, founder and CEO of the Bitcoin Well, which is a uh, crypto company. Adam, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. Oh, okay, guys, thanks for coming on again. Adam, let me go to you first. What is going on? Have, have your customers lost money here after this FTX debacle? Uh, no, no. We, we're a platform that believes in self-custody of Bitcoin. We don't play around with all the casino coins, all the scam coins that uh, FTX and other custodians uh, play around with. We are just in the business of selling sound money in the form of Bitcoin, and we uh, enable our customers to take full and complete control of their Bitcoin. And I think that's, uh, that's the primary difference. And I think like, the main driver that has to hit home eventually is that when you do not own and control your Bitcoin, you are at risk to Sam Bankman-Fried or whatever the, the Sam Bankman-Fried of 2024 or 2026 or whenever the next one comes along, you have to hold your Bitcoin so it doesn't get stolen. What do you think of this FTX disaster here? This Sam Bankman-Fried, I guess he's the crypto bro of the hour here. This guy used to be called the king of crypto. Now, I guess his name is more like mud now. But what do you think about what's going on over there? Yeah, I mean, sadly, I don't think it's uh, it's unlike what is happening in other custodial exchanges that haven't collapsed yet. I think that the custodians are running fractional reserves because that's the only way uh, the platform knows how to make any money. And they're taking the 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 traditional finance approach to uh, to this new age of, of blockchain finance, which is running fractionally. I mean, I, I, I think like what FTX has done is is absolutely horrific using customer funds um, to pay the bills. Uh, but it's also not much different than what every single bank uh, in North America does at the same time. And so I think it's I think that's an important thing to remember. Andy Barrar, your thoughts. Yes. Well, unlike banks, um, you know, the cryptos aren't really regulated. And I think that is the big problem. If you look in the past three days, there's been $150 billion of market value wiped off from the 15 of the largest cryptocurrencies. And it all goes down to one man and two companies that he owns, FTX, which was founded in 2019, just in 2019. And then his other company, Alameda Research, which he founded a couple years before that. And it looks like Everyone suspected that these two companies were attached to the hip, and it looks like after an article from Coindesk, they in fact are ours. He's been taking money from FTX and then moving it to Alameda Research and then trading with that money, Um, and people did not know this. So crypto has a big issue with liquidity right now, and all the other crypto markets are trying to now... uh, show their proof of reserves of what after what SBS has done, but and, he has really hampered the, the reputation of crypto right now across and, the globe. And Andy, this was at the same time when you had global celebrities like Tom Brady and endorsing this FTX platform. And, and as you heard in that commercial, phoning all his friends, get in on yeah, this. How many, Andy, how, like how many people have been, have been burned in this? It looks like they have about 1.2 million customers on FTX. But when you listen to that commercial in hindsight, doesn't it sound like a Ponzi scheme to you? Like he's trying to get all of his celebrity friends in. It's just a bad look. And this is where I really got angry when crypto was trying to go mainstream. They signed so many deals, Mike, with sports um, leagues across the globe. The, yeah. Where the Miami Heat played, they just signed a 19-year deal with them that was reported to be $135 million. That was last year, a 19-year deal. And this company has now filed for bankruptcy. And that's just 
the NBA. We haven't talked to Major League Baseball or Formula One. So they got their hands in the sports world. And this, this is going to take years to, to fix. And it, it's, it's just unfortunate. And I kind of see it coming when they were trying to go mainstream with crypto. Adam O'Brien, your thoughts? Yeah, I totally agree. And, and frankly, I hope it never gets fixed. People have to realize that crypto is is not the place like, it, it, it holds no sound money values bitcoin is what holds sound money principle the the thought that crypto and bitcoin are the same um is just a fallacy and it's and it's completely wrong i think that the more and more we get down this crypto casino nonsense uh the more and more exposés there will be um right now i think that well, what andy said is correct well, hang on, hang on a second, though. I mean, isn't Bitcoin part of the casino, crypto casino nonsense? I mean, isn't Bitcoin down like 70% from its all-time high? Uh, sure, up 17,000% from four years ago. So depending on your time frame, I suppose. But <sighs> I'm not talking about the, the, the up-down sideways price movement. What I'm talking about is the ability to self-custody your money. If you're buying into a quote-unquote Ponzi scheme that is FTX, you're not really learning. You're not really investing in a sound money uh, a theory, a sound money thesis. You're simply looking to uh, quickly get rich overnight. That's not, and that uh, is not that, that couldn't be further from the Bitcoin ethos. The Bitcoin well, ethos is hold and control your money. Andy Barrar, what do you say to that? Yeah, well, you know, Bitcoin obviously is the most popular cryptocurrency. They have lost value as a result of what SBF done because people are really worried about investing in crypto. All the other cryptocurrencies right now are trying to show their proof of reserves because that's what people... Not cryptocurrencies, crypto exchanges. It's very important to get that, that separated here, right? But, but you do have to understand that they had, you had institutional adventures like Sequoia Capital, which was original investor for Google years ago. They had a video call. I don't know if you heard about this, Mike. They had a video conference call with SBF. And he was playing League of Legends as he's talking to these investors. They could hear him clicking on his mouse and his eyes darting across the screen. And they still thought he was this genius. Everyone was calling him the JP Morgan of crypto. And this guy's multitasking, playing video games while he's talking to some of the, the biggest investors, you know, in, in the tech industry. So it just, you know, someone's going to make a movie out of this. There's, there's so many angles to the story and the fact that it even got, um, it got hacked and about $370 million worth of crypto funds appear to be missing from FTX. And the fact that he even founded the company, it started in Hong Kong and then founded in the Bahamas to avoid yeah. regulation, but that's what the industry is looking for to get that reputation, get some type of, you know, uh, confidence in the market is they've got to get the regulators well, involved now. Well, I wonder if they ever do make a movie about it. Maybe Matt Damon, I, I doubt, would be <laughs> the star because he is another one of the celebrities who, who was pitching crypto here. Let me play an ad here for you guys of actor Matt Damon and this is one that's kind of gone viral, especially in the, the cryptocurrency turmoil we're seeing right now. Have a listen to this commercial from Matt Damon. History is filled with almosts, with those who almost adventured, who almost achieved, but ultimately, for them, it proved to be too much. Then there are others, the ones who embrace the moment and commit. <laughs> Embrace the moment and commit to crypto and lose how much of your money. Oh, my God. Adam, what do you say to this? I mean, you're a guy who's, you know, you got a Bitcoin company going there, but, man, these are some rough waters out there. Yeah. What, what yeah, do you I think of that? Go ahead. Enough how, 
I can't reiterate how like how far removed Bitcoin is from crypto. Crypto.com, which is the company that ad you just played yeah. uh, with Matt Damon, their CEO right now is doing everything he can to try and 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 quote unquote prove proof of reserves, which is what I think Andy was was referring to earlier. And they won't be able to because every single custodian has the opportunity uh, and frankly, I believe, does play with customer money. That is not possible in, in a non-custodial exchange such as Bitcoin Well. You are like we just we just have such different morals and such different such a different ethos as to why somebody would, would trade their, their fiat government promise in for Bitcoin so, backed by math and algorithms. So Adam you're there for what? You're still bullish on on Bitcoin. You still think it's a good investment. Is that right? 100%. I, I, I think that Bitcoin is by and far the safest place for your money if you look anywhere outside of a five to 10 year window. I think that over time, we're going to continue to see record uh, inflation, uh, crazy tax changes to the tax law. We're going to see all kinds of of uh, government overreach and the ability to hold and control your money is going to be uh, one of the most overlooked and underappreciated benefits that Bitcoin has to offer. Andy, what do you say to that? Well, I'll say one thing. They've long speculated that we were going to go through a crypto winter. Well, that winter is going to be much longer and much colder. And what we really need to see in the crypto industry is regulations so we can see who is swimming naked and who is not. We've got to be able to look at these balance sheets. and Otherwise, you're not going to restore confidence in this market. All right, talking cryptocurrencies, uh, crypto values, uh, going through a rocky ride here, to say the least. This big uh, Bitcoin or this big cryptocurrency exchange market, FTX, the platform there has filed for bankruptcy. Open phone lines right now. If you phone right now, you're going to get through. 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 on your cell. My guests are Andy Barrar and Adam O'Brien. Let's go to your calls here. Dev on the line in Vancouver. Hi, Dev. Go ahead. Hey, Mike. Uh, to your guests, if I don't understand it, I don't invest in it. And I've always been leery about this. But I want to remind you, gentlemen, back in the 2008 financial crash, when a lot of this stuff came tumbling down, the, some of the people that were coming on TV and, and, and going on the radio, not you, of course, and giving their expert opinion all turned out to be frauds. So, you know what? It is buyer beware. If you don't understand it, do not invest in it. Okay, thank you for that. Adam, what do you say to him? Totally agree. Could not, could not agree more. In fact, we put a lot of money into free education for this exact reason. Um, bitcoinwell.com slash learn. And, 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 and I encourage absolutely everyone to understand why they're buying Bitcoin before they want to buy Bitcoin. And if, and if it's to make a quick buck, that is not the case. That is, that is not what Bitcoin is. The crypto casino, you can, you can make or lose money uh, at a snap of the fingers there. But if you're buying Bitcoin for the long term, it is a much different strategy. Well, Andy Barrar, I think you understand Bitcoin, but I don't think you're buying it, right? Trust me, even if I think, Mike, that I understand it, I don't. You know, I'm still trying to wrap my head. Is this is this a currency or is it a commodity? And I think if you even ask regulators, they don't know. Here's one thing I'll say to the to the um, caller. What we should also have is celebrities should not be able to endorse crypto unless they can explain it. Because I think if you ask Tom Brady, what is crypto? 
he's not going to really know. And and it just well, bugs me that, that these celebrities get away with the, doing this stuff. We've got to hold them accountable. Somebody needs to ask Tom Brady some questions. His ex-wife, by the way, deleted all of the FTX off her Twitter. So she's trying to yeah. erase this and pretend it never happened. But the Internet does not forget. And we need to hold these people accountable. Uh, Adam, go ahead. So. Like, I totally agree, first of all. Um, and, and there is some instance of some celebrities. Like, I think Floyd Mayweather and, and, and Kim Kardashian got slapped with a few million bucks a little while ago, which is pennies to what they were paid. But um, I think we have to remember, they didn't endorse a cryptocurrency. They endorsed a scam platform. And, and this has very, very little to do with crypto and more to do with criminals running crypto platforms uh, like traditional banks. And I think that if you ask somebody, like, who... Uh, um, who's uh, the guy that does the Lincoln ads? I forget his name right now. Matthew McConaughey. If you ask Matthew McConaughey to intimately explain how the car works, I don't think he could tell you. I think he'd tell you, well, Lincoln pays me a fat check and I go and do the, and, and do the line. And I think that there's, there's uh, some, some similarities to be drawn there between like somebody endorsing uh, a, a bad CEO and a, a scam artist and somebody endorsing an entire industry. Andy, you get the last word here. Go ahead. Well, I think this this fellow SBF, uh, I think he is going to turn out to be a, the, one of the biggest frauds. He's he's pretty much in Bernie Madoff's territory right now, and I encourage everybody to follow him on Twitter because what uh. something weird is happening with him on Twitter where he's just tweeting out letters, and it looks like he's trying to spell what happened. So if you if you really uh-huh. are interested in this, please follow him on Twitter because no one can figure out what is going on right now with okay. him. Okay. Gentlemen, thank you for another good discussion. Appreciate a lot. Andy Barrar, Handy Andy Media, Adam O'Brien, Bitcoin Well. I appreciate their time today. Thank you for your calls. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.